Chapter twenty two of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter twenty two. Hazel was picking wimberry flowers from their stalks. She sucked out the drop of honey from each flower like a bee. The blossoms were like small rose-coloured tulips upside down, very magical and clear of colour. The sky also was like a pink tulip, veined and streaked with purple and saffron. In its depth, like the honey in the flower, it held the low golden sun. Evening stood tiptoe upon the windy hilltop. Hazel had eaten quite a quantity of honey, and had made an inappreciable difference in the wimbery yield of half an acre, for she sipped hastily like a honey-fly. She was one of those who are full of impatience and haste through the sunny hours of day, clamorous for joy, since the night cometh. Some prescience was with her. She snatched what her eyes desired and wept with disappointment, for it is the calm natures, wrapped in timeless quiet, taking what comes and asking nothing, that really enjoy. Hazel ate the fairy tulips as a pixie might, sharp-toothed, often consuming them whole. So she partook of her sacrament in both kinds, and she partook of it all alone, taking her wafers and her honeyed wine from hands she never saw, in a presence she could not gauge. She did not even wonder whether it meant ill or well by her. She was barely conscious of it. When she found an unusually large globe of honey in a flower, she sang. Her song was as inconsequent as those of the woodlarks, who, with their hurried ripple of notes and their vacillating flights, were as eager and as soon discouraged as she was herself. Her voice rang out over the listening pastures, and the sheep looked up in a contemplative ancient way like old ladies at a concert with their knitting. Hazel had fastened two foxgloves round her head in a wreath, and as she went their deep and darkly spotted bell shook above her, and she walked like a jester in a grieving world, crowned with madness. Suddenly a shout rang across the hill and silenced her and the woodlarks. She saw against the full-blown flower of the west, black on scarlet, Reddin on his tall black horse galloping towards her. Clouds were coming up for night. They raced with him. From one great round rift the light poured on Hazel as it does from a burning glass held over a leaf. It burned steadily on her and then was moved as if by an invisible hand. Reddin came on, and the thunder of his horse's hooves was in her ears, hurtling thus over the pastures, breaking the year-long hush. He was the embodiment of the destructive principle, of cruelty, of the greater part of human society, voracious and carnivorous, with its curious callousness towards the nerves of the rest of the world. "'I almost thought it was the death-pack!' said Hazel, speaking first, as the most nervous always does. She stood uncomfortably looking up at him as a rabbit looks, surprised halfway out of its burrow. "'Where be going?' she asked at last. "'Looking for you.' Hazel could not enjoy the flattery of this. She was so perturbed by his nearness. "'Where's your lord and master?' "'Eddard inna my master. None is.' A hot, indignant flush served over her. Yes, he said. I am. That you're not, and never will be. 
Reddin said nothing. He sat looking down at her. In the large landscape his figure was carved on the sky, slenderly minute, yet it was instinct with forces enough to uproot a thousand trees and become by virtue of these the centre of the picture. He looked at his best on horseback, where his hardness and roughness appeared as necessary qualities, and his too great share of virility was used up in courage and will-power. Hazel gazed defiantly back, but at last her eyelids flickered and she turned away. "'I am,' Reddin repeated softly. He was as sure of her as he was of the rabbits and hares he caught in spring-traps when hunger drove them counter to instinct. A power was on Hazel now, driving her against the one instinct of her life hitherto, the wild creature's instinct for flight and self-preservation. She said nothing. Reddin was filled with a tumultuous triumph that Sally Haggard had never roused. "'I am,' he said again, and laughed, as if he enjoyed the repetition. "'Come here!' Hazel came slowly, looked up, and burst into tears. "'Hello, tears already?' he said, concerned. "'Keep them till there's something to cry for.' He dismounted and slipped the rein over his arm. "'What's up, Hazel Woodus?' He put one arm round her. The sheep looked more ancient than ever, less like old ladies at a concert than old ladies looking over their prayer-books at a blasphemer. "'My name inner Woodus. You'd ought to call me Mrs. Marston.' For answer he kissed her, so that she cried out, "'That's to show if I'll call you Mrs. Marston.' "'I'd liefer be.' "'What?' Edward's mistress than yourn. He ground a foxglove underfoot. And there's Foxy in a grand new kennel, and me in a seat in chapel, and a bush of lilac gave me for myself, and a garden, and a root of virgin's pride. I shall have that, said Reddin, and stopped, having blundered into symbolism, and not knowing where he was. Hazel was silent also, playing with a foxglove flower. "'What are you up to?' he asked. She was glad of something to talk about. "'Look, when you get em again the light, you can see two little green things standing inside like people in a tent. They think they're safe shut in.' She bent down and called, "'I see yer! I see yer!' laughing. Reddin was bent on getting back to more satisfactory topics. "'They're just two, like us,' he said. "'Ah, we're like under a tent,' she answered, looking at the arching sky. "'Only there's nobody looking at us.' "'How do you know?' she whispered, looking up gravely. "'I'm thinking there be somebody somewhere out t'other side of that there blue, "'and looking through like us through this here flower. "'And if so be he likes, he can tear it right open and get at us.' Reddin looked round almost apprehensively. Then, as the best way of putting a stop to superstition, he caught her to him and kissed her again. "'That's what tents are for, and what you're for,' he said. But he felt a chill in the place, and Hazel had frightened herself so much that she could not be lured from her aloofness. "'I mun go home along,' she said. "'The sun's undering. "'Will you come to Hunter's Spinney on Sunday?' "'Why ever?' 
"'Because I say so.' "'But why so far, whatever?' she asked amazedly. "'Because I want you to.' "'But I mun go to chapel along of Edward "'and sing hymns proper with the folks. "'And me singing higher nor any of them can go "'for all I'm new to it. "'And the old lady,' her face grew mischievous, "'the old lady in a shiny silk gown "'just creaks and creaks when she stirs about.' "'Reddin lost patience. "'You're to start as soon as they're in church, do you see?' "'Maybe I unna come.' "'You've got to.' Look here, Hazel, you like having a lover, don't you? I dunno. Hazel, I'll bring you a present. I dunno want it. What is it? she said in a breath. Something nice. Then you promise you come. There was a long silence. Her eyes seemed to her to be caught by his. She could not look away, and his eyes said strange, terrific things to her things for which she had no words, wakening vitality, flattering, commanding, stirring a new curiosity, robbing her of breath. They stood thus for a long time, as much alone under the flaming sky as a man and woman of the Stone Age. When at last he released her eyes, he swung silently into the saddle and was gone. When he got home, Vezins came shambling to the door. "'Supper and a tot of whisky,' ordered his master. Vezins took no notice, but eyed the horse. "'You dunna mind how much work you give me at the day's end, do you?' he inquired conversationally. "'Get on with your jobs!' "'Now, what wench'll cry for this night's work?' mused Vezins. End of chapter 22. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.